Today's sermon title is called Giving in the Early Church. As I was thinking about this sermon, this passage in particular, um, for me, I couldn't help when I couldn't help but think about when I first started ministry. Because when I first started ministry, I was pretty wary about talking about money. Uh, I wasn't really sure how to speak about it. I didn't have that much financial experience by myself. And for me in particular, I wanted to be, I guess, sensitive to those who had a bad experience with the church. I would see these pastors, and I use that word lightly or loosely, uh, who had private jets and who spent money carelessly, who stole money from the church. And so for me, as I started my own, as I started ministry, it was something I was really wary of and almost unwilling to speak on. But over the years, as you know, I, I grew in my faith in the Lord and as I grew in ministry, God really convicted my heart. Uh, and he really showed me one day that my unwillingness to speak about money was not a kindness to you, it was an unfaithfulness towards God. And the reason why is because for the Lord and how he wrote the Bible here, there's so many verses that focus upon money. He's very clear about it. In fact, there's over 2,000 verses that speak about money alone. And now for a lot, of, it's interesting because when it comes to the church and, and how we speak about it, it can be kind of gray and, and in between here and there. But for the Lord, it's, it's very clear what money is and, and how it should be used and what our mindset should be about it. And one of the reasons he speaks so clearly and so much about money is because the mindset for Christians when it comes to biblical giving and when it comes to biblical offering and tithes is so radically different than how the rest of the world thinks. You see, there are so many verses about money and it's not because God is in love with it. The reason there is so much information about money is because God is in love with you. And he wants you to know that money can be one of the greatest tools for him or it can be one of the greatest weapons for the devil. And so all I wanted to do today is to look at this passage because it's a real privilege for me to be able to go through the book of Acts and to come along a, a paragraph that so explicitly states money. And I wanted us to really look at the attitude and the demeanor and the mindset of the early church and how they gave. Because this early church, you see, they were quite radical. And all I wanted to do is just look at some of the principles here that are going to be important for us today, all right? You see, this passage in particular is quite significant. And one of the reasons it's pretty significant is because it's a break within the narrative. For chapters one through four, what we've been doing is looking at Peter and John really closely. It's been almost a first-person perspective of them, right? Going back and forth, back and forth. 
And in chapter 5, we do the same thing. We talk about the, this couple, and Ananias and Sapphira, and, and we go back into that first-person narrative. And yet, this one paragraph right in the middle doesn't do that. Luke, he takes a step back, he zooms out, and he focuses upon the entire church. And he talks specifically about giving. Now, one of the reasons Luke does this is to make sure we understand the big picture. See, Peter, he preached, the Holy Spirit came down, and believers gave radically. And so what I'm telling you is that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, your giving is not the first step. It is only through your understanding and belief in God's grace that you are able to give generously and radically. It always has to flow that way. If you are giving in any other type of mindset or motivation, you are not giving with the right heart or the right intention that God has placed within Christians. For Christians, the reason we give is from an overflow of thankfulness for all that God has done for us. Jesus has paid the price on the cross. We are forgiven not only yesterday, not only today, but tomorrow. And that thankfulness and that mindset, it flows in every part of our lives, and that includes the way that we give of our offering and tithes. Amen? Does, do you understand that? So what I want to do is just go over three points about this passage and about the Christian mindset towards giving. The first is that the Christian mindset towards giving is a focus towards others. Secondly, it's going to be an understanding of God's grace. And third, it's knowing your bottom line. Let me repeat that. The Christian mindset towards giving is, number one, a focus towards others. Second, it's an understanding of God's grace. And third, it's knowing your bottom line. Okay? First is a focus towards others. Let me read to you verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. Now, one of the most famous lines in the iconic 1996 movie Jerry Maguire was when Cuba Gooding Jr. made Jerry Maguire keep saying what? Exactly, show me the money, right? Show me the money. For Cuba Gooding Jr., the reason he played football the reason he put his health on the line, the reason he sacrificed so much was to get his money. He worked hard, he put in his time, and so he should get what he deserved. You see, church, this is how our generation thinks about money. I worked hard. I put in the hours, and I don't have enough of it. My money is my money, and it's a lot less than I deserve. You see, for us in our generation, we live and breathe money, and scholars have argued that our generation out of any previous one is more materialistic than ever before, and that has a lot to do with social media. 
In fact, it was Frederick Nietzsche who said, a German philosopher, who said, in the absence of God growing in Western culture, God is being replaced with money. However, the Bible is very clear about this, that when you are a Christian, your mindset is not focused on yourself anymore, but it is focused upon others. You see, when you read verse 32, there are two things that happened when the people believed in Jesus Christ. The first is this, those who believed were of one heart and one soul. They were unified through the Holy Spirit, and because of their unity, the Bible says that they regarded people more important than their things. Their priority was no longer themselves and their own needs, but it was other people. For them before, they would sacrifice so much for themselves and for their own growth and for their own needs, and yet now all of a sudden what happened was that there were one heart and one soul, and so when they looked at the other person, they saw not just a stranger, not just someone across the street, they saw a brother and a sister, and so they were of one heart and of one soul. And so they were able and willing to give sacrificially to the other person. That is the first thing. The second thing that happened is that those who believed had everything in common. You see, the word for community and commonality that's used here is koinonia. Now, a lot of people mistake this verse as support for communism in a way, right? But that's not actually what this verse is saying. The main difference here is that the believers, and this is key, willingly. The believers willingly gave of everything. It was their active and aggressive choice towards giving to that brother or that sister. They were willing to give. A biblical scholar named William Lesore said it this way, communism essentially says, what is yours is mine, I'll receive it. Koinonia says, what is mine is yours, I'll share it. See, they were willing to give of their possessions and their money because they were unified under Christ. When you become a Christian, your heart prioritizes its relationship with other people, and it deprioritizes its relationship with things. That was what was radical about Christianity back then. That was a radical type of mindset. Church, can you say that's any different than today? That people would prioritize one another over things. Does the world do that? Absolutely not. Don't you realize that's how dangerous the world has become? That's how dangerous social media has become when it prioritizes how much you can get from others, how much you can receive, how much you can earn, and all of those different things. And yet when it comes to relationships, when it comes to sacrificial giving for the other person, there is not a single word from any social media influencer. You see, these 
these people, this, this early church, they were willing to give their possessions away. It wasn't them speaking in tongues. It wasn't them singing praise songs that was that radical. It was their reversal of their priorities. It was this one thing that people saw that changed, that changed their minds about Christianity. They stopped holding on to their possessions. Instead, they started holding on to the people. You know, back then, what they said was, uh, when the Roman Empire was really taking hold, Christianity by itself, it started to grow rapidly. And Julius Caesar said they, he tried everything possible to uh, tail it down, to make sure that it calmed down, and that he couldn't. And one of his transcripts he wrote to another commanding officer, he said, look, the reason that Christianity is spreading so much is because they are giving so sacrificially to others. And he wrote that in exasperation. He was so upset with how Christians moved. And yet that is our call as well, church. That is how we should be processing as Christians, too. That it can't be a prioritization of things and then people. It can't be a prioritization of ourselves and then others. God has called us specifically to be caring and loving for others first. Secondly, the reason they were able to do this was because they understood the grace of God. In the iconic story, A Christmas Carol, sorry, I keep using iconic, Ebenezer Scrooge was uh, taken by different ghosts to show how greedy he was. And at the end, he finally sees his own grave and falls into it. And all of a sudden, he wakes up and it's Christmas morning. You see, for Scrooge, he thought that he was dead. He thought that it was over. He thought it was the end, but suddenly he wakes up and he's alive. He thought that he wasted his life on money, but now he's able to live life right. His mindset completely changed because he was given a new life. Do you see how parallel that is to the Christian mindset, church? Do you see how connected that is to how we should be processing our giving and our love for others? For Christians, when we accept Jesus Christ as our personal Savior and Lord, we are born again. But do you see how the grace that we are given is so much greater than the grace that Scrooge was given? Because for Scrooge, he was given a second chance to right his wrongs. He was given a second chance to go back in time and, and live a new life. And yet for Christians, what we know is that grace isn't just a second chance. What we know is that grace isn't a chance to redeem ourselves because Jesus Christ had come down not just to give us a second chance, but to clear our slate forever. He came to put his blood upon us so that we would be innocent. So that when we are looked upon by God, we're not seen as sinners anymore. We're not seen as mistake prone. We're not seen as people who have done bad things again and again and again. We are seen as his sons and his daughters. And that is not going to change. It says that in the Bible. Your salvation is secure in him. It cannot be taken away. 
if he was able to overcome death, man, he is able to overcome anything that comes within your life. He's not giving you a second life to redo the things that you messed up on. He's giving you a second life just to be grateful and live for him. You are free now. That is grace. Martin Luther, a famous pastor, he used to get up every day and look to the heavens. And he would say, you are my goodness. I was your punishment. You assumed everything I deserved and was, so I can receive everything you deserve and are. Church, we are immeasurably rich, and we have been given the greatest gift in the history of the world. You see, you and I are a part of God's family. And nothing, no height, nor depth, no angels, nor demons can ever separate us from that. You see, our mindset is different than the world's because when we look at money, when we look at material things, we say, look, this is a small thing compared to what I have and what I will never lose. That's why in 2 Corinthians 8, man, when Paul asked the church to give, he says this, I'm not going to command you. I am not commanding you. I'm looking at the sincerity of your love. For you know the grace of Jesus Christ who became poor so that you can become rich. You see, Paul's saying this, look, you know, I don't have to command you. I don't have to guilt trip you. If you're a Christian, then you know what grace is, and that's what's going to motivate you to give. Our giving is based on our understanding of what Jesus Christ has done. And church, this leads me to my last point, that the Christian mindset towards giving is knowing your bottom line. Verses 36 to 37 says this, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. For us, we're going to be hearing a lot about Barnabas later. But here, we see that the first mention of him is when he sold his field and gave away his money. Now, the reason Barnabas was able to give so generously and so radically was not because he held money as unimportant. He knew that money was important. Church, we know that money is important. God understands that money is important. The reason Barnabas was able to give radically was because his bottom line was God. Church, money is a good thing. It's an important thing. It's how people are able to provide for their families, and it's how we as a church are able to support our missionaries abroad. I don't know if you know this, but we give $30,000 a week to our missionaries. That hasn't stopped during COVID. We are continuing to do that. We give over half of our budget to supporting the vision that God has placed here. And we know that in order to support more missionaries, in order to fulfill the vision that God has placed here, we hope 
that God will bless the members here monetarily so that we can pour out even more for his kingdom. However, money becomes evil when it becomes your bottom line. Now, what is a bottom line? For companies, many of them will proclaim that the environment is good and that they love the environment. They will proclaim that they love taking care of their employees. However, if the environment gets in the way of profits, they will choose profits. If providing for their employees gets in the way of earning more money, they will choose money. For these companies, they will say a lot of things about what they love, but when it comes down to it, their bottom line is money. Church, what is your bottom line? When things come up against each other, when you have two opposing forces, when you have two things that you love, what is your bottom line? You see, the Bible speaks about money again and again because there are so many people who call themselves Christians, but their salvation is found in how much money they have. There are people who call themselves Christians who say that God is their priority, but inside, when there's two opposing forces coming against each other, they choose money. You can fool me, you can fool others, but you cannot fool God. Look, I think that many of us are willing to say that we love God and that we desire to serve him. But if loving God and serving him gets in the way of our money, I think that many of us would choose money. If one of our spouses gets laid off, we stop giving of our tithes. If we get a pay cut, we stop giving of our offerings. Many of us love God, but if loving God gets in the way of our money, then many of us, I know, will choose money. Don't you see how dangerous that is, church? Because where your bottom line is, the Bible says that's where your salvation is. Whatever you choose, when two opposing forces come against each other, that choice is where you put your hope, is where you put your identity, is where you put your foundation. That's your salvation. And look, you can call yourself a Christian and you can say that you love God, but when it comes down to it, you can fool me, you can fool others, but you cannot fool God. Don't fool yourself either. If the idea of giving away a great amount of money to the church or to the poor just doesn't feel right to you, it just is, that's not right, that's, that, that, that just doesn't, is not right to you, then I want to argue, I want to say to you, be careful because your heart is not in the right place. If the idea of spending a lot of money on a new home or a new car, that sounds great and you are willing to invest in that. 
but putting a lot of money towards others or a radical amount, amount of money towards the church that just does not sit with you and you just don't think you could ever do that, then I'd argue and I'd implore to you that your salvation may not be in Christ. It's in money. Church, for some of you listening, I know that this is uncomfortable. And I know that it's not easy to listen to these things. But I hope that at the end of the day, you, you understand that I'm not at all condemning you for not giving. My concern is not in how much you give. My hope is that you find Christ. My hope is that you know how sweet and how good Jesus Christ is. That he is going to be the only thing that stands firm when everything else fails. And that's what Christ is trying to tell each one of us as well. That's what God is trying to let us know with 2,000 verses about money. Is that money, even though it may look good from the outside, it will never sustain you. It will never hold you firm. And that when you put your hope and your identity upon it, it will end up crushing you. My hope is that this would spark something within you. That if this is you, that you would turn to the Lord today. That you would repent and come to him. You see, one of the tricks of the devil is to tell you that you are doing well when you're not. One of the tricks of the devil is to tell you that your bottom line is in Christ when it's not. Church, God doesn't want your money. He wants you. He loves you so much that he sent his one and only son to die on the cross for you so that you could have eternal life. When you know Christ, he's not just going to be a part of your life. He's going to be everything. And I'm not going to need to convince you or guilt trip you into giving. It'll come naturally. Church, our joy and contentment is not found in how much or how little we have. It's found in knowing that Jesus Christ has given you infinitely more than you deserve. We are saved forever. Do you realize that? Does that really register with you? That this life on earth is only a, a fragment. We are only dust here. It's, it's going to quickly come and go. I, I just turned 32 a couple days ago. I feel like I turned 20 yesterday, literally. And I know that tomorrow I'm going to be 40. And the next day I'm going to be 50. And soon, my life is going to flash before my eyes. That's on purpose. Our life here is only dust. It's only a breath in the wind. But guess what? Jesus Christ has given you an eternity with him. You are no longer lost. You are no longer purposeless. You are no longer heading towards somewhere that you don't know. If you believe in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord... Your eternity is secure in heaven. You will be going to a place where there is no more mourning, 
where there is no crying, where there is joy, where there is contentment in our Lord Jesus Christ. You will be in heaven with him forever. That is where your heart is. That is where your motivation lies. And your giving flows from that. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for all that.